If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Last week we ended reading this psalm. Now I want to begin again with this psalm. Psalm 19. Last week we talked about delighting in the law of the Lord. To meditate it day and night. Because there's so much wealth, so much beauty in this. And Psalm 19 is truly one of my favorite chapters. It has so much about the beauty of the Lord, His glory. Verse 7, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I'll be blameless innocent of great transgression. And the last verse, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh, it's so good. So good. The title of this message series that we're going through, as I mentioned before, is called This We Believe. Living the gospel-centered life. Looking at the foundational essence of the historic Christian faith. And I want to give just four kind of introductory things of just before we get into this, of some of the things that I've thought through as, we've, as I've been planning this, this series. A few years ago, I had the privilege of baptizing some of my dear friends, Tirza, Lucas, the Bowman boys. And we were before the baptism, we were talking about... Just what, what are we doing with baptism? How, how are we going to declare our faith in front of the people that are there? And, and we kept saying, this is what we believe. And, and they were in high school. Most of them, they were going, this we believe. And we were like, yeah. And we were saying these things. And when they got up, they just said, hey, we, we kind of said the Apostles' Creed. And we said, this we believe. And that's kind of got my mind thinking about this title series of like, hey, this is what we believe. And... As, as I've been thinking that through that, I thought, you know, this is what we want, everything. And, and I've told you some of the, the topics we're going to be covering. And I want you to know that we're not going to cover every topic that Christians believe. For instance, you may be surprised we're not covering the topic of God. Well, why aren't you covering? I mean, that should be your number one thing. He is not just a topic. He's going to be the theme every Sunday. As I plan this out, I realize, you know what? Every time we share, God is the center. 
So he's not just going to be one of the topics. He is the theme every Sunday. So at the end of a full year, you're going to realize, yep, he's in it every Sunday. So some of you may think, well, you haven't covered this. or you haven't. We're just covering some of the few things. This isn't like a big theology course that you'd have or a membership class that you would have all these different things. We're just going to cover some of the key things that we want to cover in this church to kind of get us ready for digging in the Word of God. So the main goal is, as I mentioned last week, that we want to expound upon this Word so you come to know the Lord more and more each Sunday. So I may not have three weeks where we talk about God because God is going to be the center every Sunday. Another thing, and this is very important, I find this, especially preachers my age and younger, they're all into pulling out the Bibles and trying to find something new, something electric almost, so people can be like, oh, I've never heard that before. They're trying to find something unique. Listen, I'm not here to share new light on these old scriptures. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm here to share what this shares alone. My message will be according to the scriptures. So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not going to be showing new life, but some of you might be going, I've never seen that before. Well, because we're going to dig in. In fact, there might be a Sunday where I put hip waders on (laughs) because we're going to go deep. Today I rolled up my sleeve because I want to get into this. I don't want to just kind of gloss over things. I want to dig deep. So there might be new things every Sunday, but we go, I've never seen that before. I've read that passage. That comes to me often. I'll read something. I'll memorize something. A year later, I'll read it again. I'll go, thank you, Lord. I've never seen that before. As Pastor John said, it's the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He's the one who illuminates and shows us this great word. So I'm not here to share new light on this old book. It's a living book. I'm here to expound upon the messages according to the scriptures. And also, lastly, I want to say, in this series, we, and I've kind of wrote this out, in this series we're going to talk about what we believe, secondly, why we believe it, but we won't stop there. We will also incorporate how it affects our lives because it's so important to put truth into action. We don't want to be a church that just says, hey, here's a bunch of truth, here's some truth statements, Merry Christmas, go on. We want to take this truth, have our minds engage with truth, and then our hearts respond in worship. That's what we want to do. So let me open up with prayer before we get in. And today I want to, I I usually don't do this, but I want to pray a prayer that someone else would pray every time they would open the Bible. His name is John Calvin. There's so much we've learned. He's one of our great church fathers. The Lord has used him in many ways centuries ago to help the Reformation really anchor in the Word. So as we pray, let's pray. I'm going to read his prayer. He would pray every time he would open the Word. So let's pray. O Lord, Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom, enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit and give us grace to receive your word with reverence and humility, without which 
no one can understand your truth. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. I like to many times ask a question, get us thinking through the message, through my sermon I give you. I want you to be thinking about something. So here is my question. It's kind of maybe a few questions wrapped up in one. But here is the question I have for you today. What are you passionate about? What gets you excited? What are the things that drive you? What are the things that you say, that is what I'm passionate about? This is what I'm passionate about. What is very important to you? What's the main thing in your life? What do you love to talk about? What do you think about when your mind is free? What is it that defines you? Do you think about your job? Some of you don't think about your job as much as you can. That's the last thing I want to be thinking about. Unless you have a job like mine, you think about it all the time. Because you love it. Do you think about your family? Do you think about when job is done, then I can be doing this, my hobby, my, my habit. What do you think about? What is it that excites you? What is it that gets you going? Is it a political alignment? Or maybe this is the time you're like, that's the last thing I want to think about as you turn on the news. We hear it all the time. We're bombarded by all this stuff. It's the season coming. Or maybe you have so many passions, so many thoughts, that you just, oh, you're all over the board. Or, if I would come to visit you at your home, let's say we have supper tonight. Now, this may get some of you nervous, like, uh-oh, I'm not having him come over. Because he'll be thinking this. But if we come and hang out, what would be the number one thing that you would talk about? Not that I'm going to be scrutinizing, going, okay, this is all they talked about. No, I'm not going to be doing that. But what would be the number one thing if I would just hang out with you for a day? If I would sit with you at work, you'd be like, oh, hey, here's my pastor. He's coming to work with me. Oh, it's Pastor Appreciation Day. He's at work with me. <laughs> Some of you would be like, oh, this would not work. But what would your life, what would I walk away going, they're all about this, all about this. What is the thing that you're passionate about? What do you talk about? And there's nothing wrong with being passionate about many things. I'm excited about hunting. I talk about hunting. I'm excited about fishing. Oh, I like to talk about fishing. I like to also eat the fish I catch. <laughs> there's many things I get excited about. There's nothing wrong with having many passions. But listen to this. In many ways, whatever you're passionate about defines you. Let me say that again. Whatever you're passionate about, that defines you in many ways. But today if I asked you, what is the number one thing of your life? What is of first importance? What would you say? If I spent a week with you, would I say, well, this is what they're all about? If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love this chapter. In many ways, this chapter is the crown of this epistle. Paul begins, uh, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about many things. He's, he's got a lot to say to this church. And he's got a lot of things to help them, to correct them, to realign them. He starts talking about the gospel, then he starts talking about other things, but then he gets back to this chapter. Then he kind of, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 are so great. 
And then 15. It's, it's the crown. I love this chapter. Listen to this. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers, I want to remind you, because he, he talked about it before and he's been preaching. His whole life is about this one thing. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel, you are saved. Remember last week I said, I'm not into labels, but how do I define myself? I'm a Christian, a little bit more narrow. I'm a Protestant, even more narrow. I'm a what? I'm evangelical. I'm all about this, and I'm all about the gospel. I'm all about the word, and I'm all about the gospel. Paul mentions the word gospel twice already in this. By this gospel, you are saved. I love that. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now verse 3. And this is going to be pretty much the way I preach. Every time I preach, I'm not going to have something new, as I mentioned before. I'm going to pass on to you what I've received. That's what we're doing in this series, talking about the historic Christian faith. Here we go. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is the number one thing. It's not the only importance. There's other important things. He doesn't say this is the sole thing, nothing else. But this is of first importance. So church, listen to this. This is great. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's it. I love that verse. Do you know why? It's so, I'll put this in there, it's so evangelical. It's so word-centered. It's according to the scriptures. And it's the gospel message. Christ died for our sins. You want to know what we're all about? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You want to boil down the essence of what we believe? You can find it right there. Well, there's many other things we believe, but this is the most important thing. Right first importance. Hear it again. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I am so excited for what's about to come these next couple weeks as we begin, as we anticipate Easter. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's what we're about. What's the number one thing in your life? What bleeds from you? All these material things that we hold on to, we lose. I live a pretty simple life, but I'm amazed at how much stuff I have. Some of you that helped me unpack realize, boy, they got a lot of stuff. After, as we loaded up our vehicle, we had to leave stuff behind. I looked at my wife and said, you know what? Who cares? Even if that truck just poof, in fire right now, right now I have my family. That's 
so important to me. We have many things that are important, but what's first importance? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I love this passage. It has it all. It has the number one thing. The cross is the core. And listen, to this. this is how I believe. The cross should be the center of our life because that's how we have life. Amen? And here, this is, this is very key. Anything else that comes in the center that's not the cross is idolatry. So here's my mentality. God is number one. He's number one in my life. He's number two, he's number three, he's number four, and he's number five. Number six is my family or my wife. Because so many times I'm like this, well, God's number one, my wife's number two. And sometimes they get so close that, oh, they're kind of an equal plane. So that's why I make sure God's number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. So that way there's enough barriers so that way my wife, my family doesn't get in the way. The cross is the core. It's the center of what we have. That's why I can't wait for Good Friday, Easter, Palm Sunday. We're going to be doing this for years, talking about the cross and living that out. Amen? That's what we're all about. The cross is the center. It's the most important thing. Anything that gets close to it, it's idolatry. The only essential message is the cross. From there, all other things are connected. We are always to be cross-centered in our speak, in our teaching. When we sit down, when we get up, remember that Deuteronomy chapter 6? Whenever you're around, we talk about these commands. And I love how the commands, the old and the new, all point to Christ. It's all according to the scriptures. At the center of Christian faith is the cross. But it's so easy for us to forget what it took for us to live. Listen to that again. It's so easy for us to forget what it took for us to live because we get so caught up in all these other things of this world. I love this passage because it talks about the word and the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In this passage, the gospel message is something that we believe and proclaim according to the scriptures. The saving purposes of God in the Old Testament find their climax, because Paul wasn't talking about all the New Testament he had. He's talking about the Old Testament. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Did you know that the Old Testament all points to the cross? So many people don't realize that. That's why when we're done with this series, we're going right to the Old Testament, because it points to the cross according to the scriptures. It's all there. And we will see that all the passages we look at, Scripture points to Christ. And the gospel message is a message of salvation. And we will continue to talk about the Word of God here. Along with the other Christians for the past 2,000 years, they can hold this book and say, This we believe. And this is the book this world is dying to know. Just walk around outside of this school. Look at some of these homes. You'll say, this world is dying to know this. Linda was mentioning there's a place, I don't know where it is, maybe, I'm not sure what town it's in, where there's a lot of, a lot of poor homes, there's a lot of meth stuff going on there. You can walk there and go, they're dying to know this. 
Listen, you can walk to Manchester, see some of the nice houses and say, they're dying to know this. It doesn't matter what kind of house they live in. The world is dying to know this book. Amen? So let's continue to talk about the Word of God today. The Word establishes this foundation. So turn to the book of Amos. I'm going to typically not going to be doing this, but we're going to turn to a couple passages today. Amos chapter 4. Now I'm going to say this and you'll probably smile and laugh, but I love this chapter. In fact, it, I, I preached out of this the first Sunday I was here. Only a few verses. But look at the last verse in Amos 4. This is such a great verse. Every verse is a great verse. Amos chapter 4. It'll take you a while to find it. It's one of those books you may even have to turn in the beginning. It's those minor prophets. They're pretty tight there. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Just kind of find it in there. Listen to this verse. I love this verse. Amos chapter 4. He's talking about the Lord here. He who forms the mountains. Oh, next time you step outside, see that when we can see the mountains. He who forms the mountains creates the wind, and here it is, and reveals his thoughts to man. I just want to pause there and think about that. The creator of all who formed these majestic mountains that are on both sides of us, who creates the wind that sometimes you enjoy, sometimes you don't. The creator of all, he I don't get this. This is amazing that he would reveal his thoughts to us simple people. Isn't that great? That the almighty God reveals his thoughts to us. And I said this last week, remember this. The only way we can know God is through revelation, period. And the primary way he's revealed himself is right here in his word. And when the word took on flesh. He reveals his thoughts to men. How amazing it is that God would speak to us through his word. He communicates in many ways. This week, God communicated to me through creation. I think it was Thursday of the day that was nice and clear. I was like, it's going to be clear. I'm taking the kids on the ferry to go to Seattle and back just so they can see what's around us. And remember, as we kind of got to Bremerton, we kind of see the mountain range was kind of hidden, and the clouds were kind of there, and they're like, which one's right near? I'm like, well, it's big. I've seen it before, but I, I don't see it. Maybe it's that one, because the way we were positioned, I'm like, well, I'm not sure. And then we finally got around Manchester, and we went, there it is. <laughs> the kids were all like, whoa. God reveals himself in creation. Psalm chapter 19, the first six verses are about that. Romans, you see that. So he reveals himself creation, reveals himself in our conscious. People who don't even see creation, they know there's a God. Romans chapter 2 says that. But the most beautiful way he's revealed himself is in his word, his law. And basically today I want you to know this, that his word can be trusted and it can be obeyed. It is to be trusted and obeyed. Well, what does the word say about itself? 
If you could turn to 2 Timothy, this is probably, in, in many ways, this is probably one of the most famous verses about the Word of God itself. 2 Timothy. If you turn back there, sometimes there's so many little books. All the T's are before Hebrews. Hebrews is a longer one. And then you got the popular names like James. you got you know, John, Peter. So all the T's, Thessalonians, Timothy, they're all before Hebrews. Sometimes as a little kid, that's the way I would remember how to find that there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's start with verse 15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love that. It's about the word. This is how we're going to learn about faith. And then verse 16. All scripture is God breathe and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God, this is inspired by God. It's not just 40 authors got together, you know, they just wrote their own thing, and then the church decided, oh, let's put these. No, this is God's Word. It's inspired by the Lord. It's, this, is, this is great. It's divine, but it's also human. It's, you read the different books, you get their personalities. You get a flavor for how it is. Luke is very articulate. He was a doctor. He could really use the language well. Where John, he's just kind of like a fisherman. You know, he's kind of like, yeah, my kind of a guy. It's very simple to read. All scripture is God-breathed. Another one. Turn over to Second Peter. So just keep turning Go past Hebrews. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Oh, this is a great chapter. So much in the beginning. It's so beautiful. Verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, it's very important here, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. And we stand upon this. We hold to this. This is his word. Through the words of human authors, it's God's word. Because God is the source and the author of the Bible, three things. It can be trusted, it's reliable, and it's authoritative to us as a church. It can be trusted. It's true. Jesus said this in John 17. Sanctify them by your word, for your word is true. This is true. 
We live in a world where there's so many things that are not true. We live in a world where people want to make their own truth. Today, the modern reason says, discover your own faith. There are, there are many who assume that the Bible's full of errors, discrepancies. Honestly, I can't wait to go over to the university here in town and start hanging out there. I've already contacted Campus Crusade and said, you got people there? They said, well, we used to, we don't have any more. Well, you do now. Let's get it going. I love going to campuses like that, hanging out with students and professors who say, well, there's, there's errors in the Bible. Well, show me. Well, that's a supposed error. Let's, let's look at this. Let's dig in the Word. There's people who think, oh, this isn't true. There's errors. Oh, it's wholly true in all that it affirms. It's not the product of human experience or religion. We're, we're, we're surrounded by people who say, well, you can make up truth. Whatever's true for you is true for you, but whatever's true for me is true for me. No! When we went to go across the ferry, the night before I was talking with Dale, and he said, yeah, well, you got you to pay to park there. Remember, it was with Duel. We paid there. And, you know, why would you pay to park downtown, I was thinking. I'm from Wisconsin. When we go downtown, in the town that we used to live at, 400 people, you didn't have to pay to park downtown. So I could have said this, you know what? I still have my Wisconsin plates on my vehicle. I'm from Wisconsin. We don't have to pay downtown. So I'm going downtown to Bremerton. I'm parking here. I don't have to pay. See you later. I'm going on the ferry. I'm sure Mr. Officer would say, oh, they're from Wisconsin. Oh, they, well, we're so blessed that they're here. They don't have to pay because back home they didn't have to pay. Sure, that's good for you. You don't have to pay. I can almost guarantee there would have been a little nice note on my windshield, underneath my windshield wiper, right? No, truth isn't whatever you believe. This is truth. Belief in something doesn't make it true. You can take a cup of poison and say, this is not poison, this is not poison, and firmly believe it and drink it. Guess what? You will die. This is true. Or like this Christmas, I was with my in-laws at their home. They had the news on. And one of their news stations, this is their theme. Whatever, you know, Channel 5, the news. You decide. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. News should just give me the facts. I don't need to... Don't, don't give me the facts. And I decided, well, that was bad. That was, you know, no, that's true. No. We live in a society where we say, oh, you decide. This is true. It is true. Secondly, it's reliable. We can believe it. It's something we can hold on to. It's reliable. We don't believe that this is just a book. It's the book. It's reliable. We can trust it. We can trust the promises of God. I cannot wait every Sunday to open this up and show you all these promises that we can trust. Because listen, some of our families are going to go through storms and struggles. Things that we cannot cope with. What do we turn to? We turn to this. Because He is a God that is everlasting. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Amen? It's reliable. We can depend on this. 
We believe the Bible is wholly true and all that it affirms. You know what? Sometimes when I'm on the campuses, they'll say, well, it's not reliable. There's things in there that are not true. Like here it says, the sun rises. The sun doesn't really scientifically rise. You know what? The Bible is not to be a science handbook. It doesn't tell you everything there is to know in the world. Where's the best prices of milk? Open it up. Well, Fred Meyer's out because the word Fred is not in the Bible. <laughs> no. It's not meant to be like that. It contains, listen to this, it's very important. This book contains everything we need to know about salvation and the Christian life. It's not a, a book where you can, there's a test coming up. What's the answer for this? Oh, there it is. Okay, verse 20. No, 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 no. Remember, it's divine and human. Human authors wrote. The sun rises. Yeah, you know what? I go home and I say, oh, the sun is rising. In Washington, I'm starting to say, it takes a while for the sun to rise because of all those mountains. <laughs> Am I wrong in saying that? No. It's just that the mountains are, you know, it takes a little bit longer. Or my wife today, she said, the mountains are gone. The mountains aren't here. What did you say? Yep, the mountains, they're gone. Are they gone? No, there's a lot of clouds there. They're still there. This is wholly true. It's reliable in all that it affirms. It is the reliable word when you need truth. And we need truth. We need life. This week as I pray for Sherry and Niels, I'm going to be using the word of God and just thinking of different passages and praying that for their family. As I get to know you, some of the joys you have, I'm going to be rejoicing with you. Some of the struggles you have, I'll struggle with you. But I'm going to be using the word of God with me because it's reliable and true. Let me give you an example of how we need the word of God and not the counsel, the wisdom of this world. This summer I was in the Amazon jungle. What a privilege to travel in the Amazon jungle. I was with a medical team. I was a medic for 13 years, so I was able to use some of my medical skills. But the main role I had there, well, I was the pastor of this boat. We had two boats tied together, you know, just going along the river. And we'd find different, in the jungle, different villages. And, and they would set, we'd set up a clinic, and we would have everyone go through the clinic, and they'd finally meet with me, and I would pray for them. I would say, yeah, you have physical needs, but you also have spiritual needs. So let me pray with you. And I have my students with me praying. We went to one village... And the, the captain of the boat had to go up there with one of the doctors and just get permission from the village to, with the elder to say, can we come into your village and, and care for you with medicine and, and help you? And they, they said yes. And one of my students, Jesse, went up there. He was with them, and he came back down, and he said, oh, we can go, Cody. And he looked at me and goes, but Cody, there's a famous pastor here visiting. And he kind of rolled his eyes. I'm like, a famous pastor? What? He kind of gave me the eyes and went, uh-oh, this, this could be interesting. So we got our gear ready, we went up to the village, and we set up our clinic, and they, they would meet uh, the nurse and the doctor, then the pharmacy, then they would meet with me. And, and Jesse said, the famous pastor's here with a group of people, and they have a, they have a camera, they're videoing him, it's big, big news. I'm like, we're in the jungle, the Amazon, what's, what's happening? I was like, oh, oh, this could be bad. And finally, um, lunchtime was coming up, and they had me go over to, to where we were going to prepare the meal. And the famous pastor saw me coming. 
and he's from Brazil, he's speaking Portuguese, and someone said, this is Pastor, in Spanish, Cody isn't the best word to translate, so I go by Pastor Carlos. I said, Pastor Carlos is here from the States, and he went, oh, they got the camera on me right away, Pastor Carlos, come here, oh, and this guy got next to me, and he got the camera, he's like, get the camera on us, I'm with Pastor Carlos, and this guy started talking and talking, and he began to interview himself, and talk about all the great things he has done, and how famous he was in Brazil, and I just rolled my eyes going, oh, this is bad. And he and he pulled this book. He said, "Look at here's pictures of me with this famous person. Here I built my church. Look how big it is. Oh, Pastor Carlos, I'm great." And I just went, "Oh, get the camera on me and Pastor Carlos." I need a truth there. And then he turned to me and says, "What about you? You're so quiet." I wanted to say, "It's because you're so busy choking on the fumes of yourself." But I thought the camera's on me. They're going to probably edit whatever I say is truth. I paused, I looked at my friends, I said, we were slaves of Christ. We're here to build his kingdom, the Lord. Then he kept talking and he laughed a lot and he went on. But as we were, tra- as we were doing this, he was speaking Portuguese through a guy that was there that was translating in Spanish and then in Spanish to me. So it was a long haul. And the guy that was translating from Portuguese to Spanish, he was planning a church there in this village. And when I followed it, I almost wanted to stand in front of the famous pastor and go, hey, you're my hero. But I knew that the camera would have turned off. And We're wrapping things up. It's about 5 o'clock. We're getting things ready. It's winter down there. This time the sun's going down. And the, the doctor said, hey, we got one more person. It's the pastor. Would you pray for him? I'm like, oh, I would. The church planter. The famous guy's off with his camera crew looking at bananas or something. I'm not sure what they were doing. So I sat on this little bench outside this hut. And I'm saying, God, what do I do? And I'm holding my Bible. I'm holding this Bible. I'm just like, what do I do? What does he need? He needs truth, but... Oh, Lord, I need to let him know truth. I said, Lord, cover my words. He sat down next to me. And I said... Eber, had a translator with me, I said, listen, it's so good to see you, be here. I need to let you know that what I'm going to share with you, I really believe is, I've prayed about this, this isn't me just saying this, I really think the Lord is, is in this, I just want to share something important to you. When I saw the, I called him the famous pastor, I said, when I saw him, it was okay, whatever, but when I saw you, my heart rejoiced, and I said, you're my hero. And he starts to weep. And I said, listen to me. What that pastor's all about is not what this is about. I said, don't be sad that your name is not in a book or you have all your photos. Instead, rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And I began to open this up. And I talked about what it means to be a servant like Jesus Christ. That's what we're about in the kingdom. And he was weeping this whole time. And I shared different verses. One out of 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He needed truth. And I got my students, got a bunch of the guys, and we prayed for him. We gathered around and prayed for him. And just before I left, I said, listen, I don't do this often, but I opened up my Bible to the last page. I said, write your name in my Bible, and here it is, 
Eber. Every time I grab my Bible and I see your name, I'm going to pray for you. And he began to weep. I read him some more Bible passages and I left. That night as we were getting ready for bed in the hammock, getting the mosquito nets up, Jesse said, hey, Cody, I need to tell you something. Two months ago, a bear, he said, I'm quitting ministry, I'm done, I can't handle it. I mean, can you imagine living under someone, the shadow of someone like that famous pastor, and just, he said he's quit. So he said, in two months, I'm done. July 1st, I'm done. And this was June 28th. He woke up that morning saying, two more days, whatever days, I am done. I'm quitting. Especially under the light of this guy, I just can't imagine. But before Jesse left, Eber told him that story. He said, but today, after hearing this, I will finish to the end. This is reliable. It will help you. It's trustworthy It will sustain you through the darkest times. It's reliable. It will help you. It will help you endure. Also, it's authoritative. It's the main thing. Let me me do this quickly. Let me read a book out of Evangelical Convictions. Good title for a book I would like, huh? The reformers back in the 1500s, all this chaos. Is the church more important than the word of God? All these things are happening. This is what it says. It says, affirming the scripture alone, the reformers were fighting two battles. One side were the Roman Catholics that held the church tradition is equal authority as scripture. They're saying, well, the Pope and the church has equal authority as scripture. The church can tell you what to do. And they're saying, no, only Scripture alone. But on the other side were the, they, they translated word, the, the enthusiastics who accepted immediate prophetic utterances of the Spirit messages as equal as the Word of God. They said, no, it's Scripture alone. In opposition to both, the Reformers declared that the Bible alone is the position of ultimate authority for the Christian. And that's what we believe. The Bible has complete revelation for salvation and sufficient relevance for what we need. It has the revelation for salvation, but the relevance, it's what we can use every day. And I wrote this down, I was going to put this up on the screen here, but it covers two things. And we'll see this as we finish up this message, you will see this throughout every message I give here. I kind of broke it up in two areas. It's got the two areas of our life. Christian faith, what we believe, leading into our life, living it out. Or doctrine, which leads to duty. Or, in big words here, orthodox, orthodoxy to orthopraxy, living it out. Or what we are to think leads to how we are to live. And that's what the Word of God is all about. True thinking through the Bible, true theology instructs the mind and stirs the heart to worship. And let me end with this. Not only is the Word of God true, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, but it's something we are to obey. 
And that's my goal, is to expound upon this word so we can see it more and live it out. When I was a little kid, we would sing that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. Remember that? How many of you remember that song? That's what this is about, trusting and obeying. We must obey and learn from Scripture. Let me end with this passage here. If you turn to Ephesians, oh, Ephesians. We could, let's spend the whole afternoon and just talk about Ephesians. It's so good. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. How, how do you obey? How do you use this? I want to try to bring some application here. This is a verse in my household. If you have kids, <laughs> maybe you need to pull this verse out. I read this verse a couple times, said this verse, I even had the girls, because it's Autumn's favorite verse. For some reason, she memorized it and said, okay, this is my favorite verse. Oh, she had no idea how important it needed to be in her life. Yes, the pastor's kids, they fight. And we have to read this verse once in a while. The last verse of Ephesians chapter 4. This is living it out. This is taking the word of God and trying to live it out in your family. Be kind and compassionate to one another. (laughs) Wow, little girls. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I encourage you, find verses like this for your family. Use them. I have to pause. Girls, stop. What's that? What's your favorite verse? Be kind and compassionate one to another. No, 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 no. That's not how it is. Be kind. What does that look like? It's true, but we need to obey it. Amen? We are so grateful we have this word. Let the word of Christ this week dwell in you richly. Let me pray.